Hi everyone, my name is Yaro and you're listening to the Creative Devotion Podcast. It is somehow um, Sagittarius season, it's kind of almost December and I am in my living room, it's dark, it's been dark for many hours because I live in Scotland <laughs> and I'm really excited to bring um, this episode to you as a gift for kind of the gateway into winter I guess. I spoke to the beautiful, talented, and so inspiring Jess Kanar, who I've only known maybe like a year or two, but I feel like I've been in awe of their journey and their work for longer than that. You know, it's one of one of those people where you're just like, how could I have not known you, <laughs> basically? We talked about a lot of beautiful stuff, like the intersection of queerness, creativity, and spirituality, daydreams as portals, keeping dream journals, and just generally what it means to be alive in these times. Um, I really admire Jess and they're part of the livelihood community I facilitate and it's always a joy to be around them. I also want to let you know that they recorded a little addition to our interview at the very end because they um, offering a few really beautiful free community building things at the moment that I think you definitely want to check out. Um, they're dream circles and creative spaces and it's really not one of those, you know, here's this free thing, now buy XYZ kind of things. They're just a very generous, loving community building person. So I'll link to um, the website in the show notes and then I also recommend that you um, check what they added at the end um just a small update for me a really beautiful group is coming together for my new year's eve creative retreat um, which is happening over on the making app if you want to check that out i'll link to that in the show notes as well and i'll come back soon with a solo episode um and in the meantime i'm sending lots of love your way Hi everyone. Oh, this is an interview that I, I feel so creatively tickled and excited about already. I'm speaking to Jessica, who's part of my business community and with whom I had a really beautiful dream session last year. And um it's hard to describe because personal, you know, dreams are so personal. And I just have such deep creative admiration for this person, and I'm so excited about their work. And um, I left this session feeling like, wow, this was, we sorted my whole life out. So I'm really curious to talk more about dreams and um, creativity and how, how all these different things tie together. So Jess, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to talk to you. Me too. I'm really excited to be here and also talk about dreaming because it's one of my favorite things. Yes. <laughs> so let's begin super gentle by seeing where you are in the world and what nature is like around you. I love your color palette, by the way. Whenever I see a picture of your garden, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> what a cool landscape that is so different to mine. Yeah, so <clears throat> I live um, on... Um, land that belongs to the Southern Tiwa speaking people. And in their terms, their traditional terms, I would say that I am living uh, kind of in between Turtle Mountain on the east and, and Big River to the west. 
and the village of Kickflint to the south and the village of the Green Reeds up to the north. And the kind of colonial names for these places, which might be more recognizable to listeners, um, is Albuquerque, New Mexico. I live between the Sandia Mountains and the Rio Grande River. Um, and to the south is Isleta Pueblo, and to the north is Sandia Pueblo, and it's um, it's the high desert, which is a very, very special and magical place. Also, I remember when I first saw the word Albuquerque in writing, I was so fascinated by how it's pronounced. It's like, what a magical word. <laughs> so cool. Um, yeah, and my next question, you can really take this in any direction that you like, but I wonder what dreams mean to you at the moment and maybe also specifically in the pandemic because I know lots of us have been dreaming differently. Oh, yeah, this is um, a big question, right? Because in one way, dreams is this really expansive concept to me um, that includes things like in our Western culture of, you know, sleeping dreams or like personal future dreams, which I think is how we most often talk about them. But it also makes me think about like collective dreams um, that we create when we're doing um, organizing or activism work. And it also makes me think of daydreaming even <laughs> like as a, as a neuroqueer person who has spent a lot of time in imaginal space, I think like daydreams are kind of the unsung heroes of the dream world. Um, but then you also have, right, like uh, more traditional or indigenous cultures where dreaming has very specific and very different meanings from what it means in the West um, or in the Western world, air quotes. Um, and then to me personally, Dreaming has um, a strong tie to my to my lineage, my ancestral origins. Um, I am the great 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 granddaughter of a woman named Margaret Cohen, who um, was a prophetic dreamer. Um, in her communities and is known as that in the records. Um, and so I feel like my personal dreaming practice is um, in a way in honor or like to be in more connection with her. Um, I, I want to share something about this that's a little bit kind of fun. Um, and it kind of speaks to how I got pulled into dreaming a little bit more in depth. So I've always been a strong dreamer as a kid, remembered my dreams or recalled them very easily um, and had very vivid dreams, even when the dreams were quite simple. And 
I've recorded them in journals throughout the years and but never really kind of um, put that much emphasis on them until more recently. Um, when I found uh, the dreams, the recorded dreams of, of my great grandmother, Margaret. And the reason that this sparked something is because when I was a small teenager, maybe like 14 or 15, um, I like <laughs> one afternoon was goofing around with um, my mom just out in the street in front of our house. And I was jumping around and dancing around and shouting out the silly phrase, just, I'm a beautiful butterfly. Um, and I kind of asked my mom how to say it in German, because that's my family's original language. And and she shared it with me, and it's a lovely phrase. It's, it's uh, du bist eine hübsche Schmetterling, right? This is a very, like, fun thing to say. <laughs> and so this phrase kind of followed me um, throughout my my adolescence and over the years I started asking people that I would meet from different parts of the world how to say this phrase in many different languages um, and it became something that was just kind of an icebreaker for me helped me with socializing like I, I mean this is it's it's just carried with me the silly phrase du bist ein Schmetterling or ich bin ein Schmetterling actually um, and fast forward to about a year before the pandemic when I find these dreams from my ancestor and one of the dreams that was recorded is a dream that she had I believe um, in Scotland um, which is where she's from and she dreamt of thousands of butterflies um, leaving her dress from like her chest or her bosom right this is how the image is that's been passed down and she actually only had one child in her life and that was a great like kind of sadness for her and this dream came in response to that sadness that's the story that's written and her son ended up having like 20 children or something wild. And so his descendants are really many, many, many people. And this dream came to be known in the community and her descendants, her grandchildren and their grandchildren and their grandchildren's grandchildren became known as Grandmother Margaret's Butterflies. And when I found this dream, you know, decades after inventing this goofy game, I, it just, I don't know, there aren't words for it to feel that, that connection that all of a sudden just shoots back generations in this very intimate way. Um, and so when the pandemic hit, all of this was kind of fresh on my mind and I knew we were going to be inside and there was lots of talk of dream practices, um, but it became really important to me to start exploring 
uh, my own dream world and and connect to this particular ancestor in that way. And so that's a very long story, um, but it, it ended up kind of pushing me in this direction of gathering in dream circles with friends and community. Um, and so I've been practicing um, dream work in a more intentional way through art and journaling and gathering in community for the last two and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> so incredible. I love, I mean, I didn't know that you speak German and what a beautiful dream, what a beautiful, meaningful connection and what a incredible you know, idea to hold in your own identity to be a beautiful butterfly, like just incredible. I love it so much. <laughs> tell us a bit more about like, what were your first steps in dream work? If people are curious, what would you say is really helpful? What, what was good for you? Yeah, I think, you know, I kind of started backwards, but I don't think there's any one way to start. There's a lot of different ways to engage with your dreams. I started by, by calling together this group of my former classmates um, from my art therapy program, my graduate program, who had run dream group, um, dream groups during school um, as part of their uh, practicum experience. And so they kind of taught me and we started co-facilitating creating this dream group practice where we share dreams with each other and kind of set intentions for how we're going to recall things. And we work through dreams creatively with art images or poetry or movement. Um, and then sometimes dive more deeply into um, the message of a particular dream. And being in that group really helped give me kind of the container for, for deepening my personal dream practice. So I started keeping a dream journal. Um, and when I didn't feel like I could write my dreams down because um, I have uh, kind of chronic pain issues in my arms and hands, and so I can't always write or type. I would just record them on my phone even. Um, so any way I could kind of catch them and hold them within myself, I would. Um, and then I just started <laughs> kind of obsessing about dreams a little bit more than my friends. <laughs> And that took me into books and podcast interviews and workshops and, you know, like courses at my school and um, conferences and other dream circles of different styles. Uh, and that's, I think, what's just kind of, it's been this natural tumbling process. But if folks are wanting to start engaging more with their dreams, you only need one dream. You don't have to be a prolific dreamer. 
you don't have to have lucid dreams where you're, you know, conscious and you're dreaming. You can even start with a daydream. Um, you know, you can put on a visualization. There's lots of them out there on YouTube and and Insight Timer and things like that. And you can even work with um, kind of dream journeys in that way. Um, just record them, pay attention to them, make a collage or write a poem. And the dream world will hear you and know that you are inviting that relationship in. Yeah, I love this reminder that there's so many ways to dream and also so many different ways to record dreams. And I love it so much whenever I see you visually respond to something complicated. I'm like, you have such a great visual vocabulary and it really inspires me to maybe do some doodling alongside my normal dream writing as well. Mm -hmm. You do many different things though, and I think your practice has shifted a little bit in this past uh, six months, 12 months, I, I'm not totally sure, but I wonder if you maybe want to speak a little bit more to what ecotherapy means to you, um, how you're weaving art into your practice, um, just, you know, what, what, what are you into right now? <laughs> yeah, so I graduated from um, my art therapy and counseling program at the very beginning of the pandemic. Um, and it kind of thrust me into the next, you know, year, um, year and a half of doing individual telehealth like work. So providing art therapy and ecotherapy um, and trauma counseling through the computer, which um, telehealth is not something I was trained in. It's not something I ever dreamed of doing. <laughs> I'm a very um, analog, you know, uh, style person, I guess. Um, which, you know, I think is kind of part of even what brought me into art therapy and ecotherapy, the tactile and very like intimate and like um, present experience of being with art materials and creating or being with um, the more than human world. Um, so <clears throat> I guess the last, you know, the first year and a half of my practice out of grad school was really not what I expected. And it ended up being really, really hard, um, especially because I was doing a lot of trauma counseling, which um, I happened to be really good at, but it was not something I was prepared to do or ready to do um, personally, considering my own um, recovery or healing journey. And I ended up burning out really fast. And in April of this year, in 2022, I, I realized I could not um, continue working anymore, that my nervous system was just shot. And so I decided to stop, <laughs> which was really scary and really hard. Um, but when your body 
tells you it's time to stop. It's time to rest. You, um, you best listen because <laughs> it will keep telling you if you don't listen <laughs> louder and louder. Um, so in that decision to stop working as a trauma counselor, I kind of this world of possibilities opened up for me. And I decided that I really wanted to go back to the roots of, of why I even got involved in art therapy to begin with, which is really community work, community healing, um, community building. And so I think that, you know, the radical nature of kind of community organizing, community building is really a natural fit for art therapy. Art therapy began in a lot of ways as, um, as kind of a radical alternative to traditional mental health care. Um, and ecotherapy also was an alternative. And so they both kind of exist on the edge of, of what we consider mental health care um, in popular culture, like talk therapy and, um, you know, psychotherapy, actually one, one kind of, you know, licensed professional and one patient meeting and trying to fix that patient. And I just can't do that anymore. <laughs> I don't, I don't believe in it in the way that it's existing in the world. I think healing is found very far outside of that type of experience. Um, and so going forward, I realized like I want to do that that edge work, that community building, that kind of, that dreaming, right, of what, what healing looks like, you know, and to me, it looks like gathering, it looks like expressing our creativity, it looks like building autonomy, and also, you know, being witnessed, and it looks like that, not just in relationship with other humans, but um, in relationship with those that came before us, those that are going to come after us, in relationship to all earthlings, to, um, you know, all beings on this planet, um, living and, and, you know, air quotes, not living, right? Um, so what that's going to look like, I really don't know yet, but I'm thinking of some things that are coming um, in the near future, maybe next season, um, I think I'll start with doing some dream work, um, and making that kind of my way of being out in the world, my offering. Yes, I'm so excited to see what that's going to look like, and I just, I just can't wait. <laughs> I just can't wait. Um, I think you touched on this a little bit already, but I feel like there's so much more in there. Um, I wonder, so you're, obviously you're talking and thinking about archetypes and 
we mentioned before in, in another setting, the wounded healer archetype. And you also said that you're no longer that interested in this kind of one-on-one -on -one, uh, relationship that you describe. And I wonder, yeah, like what does the wounded healer archetype mean to you right now? And maybe also for us as a collective, like maybe how does it show up between us, not just in us? Mm. Yeah. So I feel like my relationship to this archetype is really complicated right now. Um, especially because during this time off from work, I've been diving more deeply into my personal healing. And, you know, I think I want to name two things, kind of maybe the, hmm, maybe kind of we talk about you know, the Jungian idea of archetypes is that there's this like light side. I don't particularly like that word for it, but that there is like the light side or um, how does Kim Kranz talk about it? Like the imbalance aspect of the archetype and then the shadow or out of balance aspect of the archetype. And I think when we think of the wounded healer that, you know, that archetype imbalance kind of points to um, kind of these, uh, I mean, they're contemporary, but also ancient, I guess, ideas that to become a healer, to become a medicine person, you know, and this is, I think, still true in a lot of indigenous cultures, that you have to go through your own healing, that becoming a healer or, um, or a medicine person or in um, you know, anthropological terms, a shaman, right? Like Western anthropological terms that you have to kind of be broken open by your own wound and experience medicine for yourself to learn how to offer that to someone else to receive the gifts of, of being, um, being in touch with kind of both sides of world, uh, meaning like kind of the waking world and the underworld, right? Um, or spirit world. And <clears throat> I think that's lovely and, and really true. I find a lot of truth in that. But then there's this shadow sign <laughs> of this wounded healer archetype, which I think is the fact that especially um, you know, in as the result, the consequence of colonialism and imperialism um, in all over the world, you know, um, that our natural and most wholesome or safe or like supportive way of existing in the world in community with a lot of connection to others and to the world around us has been broken. And, you know, over the many, many generations, it shows up as trauma like lineages and, and very, you know, concrete trauma experiences um, that folks have. And there develops when you've been when you're a survivor of trauma you you experience 
you develop a lot of capacities for things um, as survival tools. And that can include things like empathy or sensitivity um, to your surroundings, to your environment. And those capacities get exploited, I think, in our culture by the mental health care system. I think that the way it's set up, people who have been wounded, who are walking around with trauma histories are gathered into um, the pool of, of laborers who will become, you know, therapists and counselors and social workers um, and other types of healers as well. And the way that our capitalist systems are still working, the medical industrial complex re-victimizes people that are put in those roles. And so you get these wounded healers who never get a chance to heal, who are further traumatized by being asked to, to treat a wound that is not of their own origin, right? To treat a, a communal wound, like an intergenerational wound. And, and the capitalist system just sucks people dry is so extractive that you get these people who are so hurt who really care about healing themselves and healing others and they end up more wounded by the system than they even started out and that's where I'm at (laughs) I'm in that shadow zone of this archetype of just feeling completely um, stripped of my life force. Thank you, Jess. That was so beautifully articulated. And yeah, I couldn't have put it better in many ways. This is something I've been feeling, but I've never really put it in those words or really thought about it this clearly. So thank you. Um, yeah. Um, whew. Mm. <laughs> I don't even know where to go from here so I just want to sit in this and marinate a little bit but I want to ask you more about this idea of the sacred third which I think is your new business name and I heard you talk about it a little bit and really loved it so anything else you want to share in that direction I'd be so grateful yeah that was that was a heavy share <laughs> so this is a a nice transition um, to um, maybe not such a heavy topic. Um, So yes, my business going forward um, is the Sacred Third Creative Wellbeing. And the Sacred Third is a concept I've been sitting with for several years. I think I was first introduced to this concept not as the sacred third, but as, um, but kind of in that vein by the artist Jonah Welch, who is, um, they're known for the trans people are sacred billboards project. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but they're a lovely um, kind of spiritual artist. um, And they've written in the past and spoken about this concept of Um, divine androgyny as a 
as kind of a response to the binary of the divine masculine and divine feminine. And as someone who is queer and and genderqueer, um, my whole life I've struggled as a spiritual person, a deeply spiritual person with the idea that I that my options were these two, right? That I could be yin or yang. I could be, you know, connecting with the God or the goddess, researching the divine feminine or the divine masculine. And I never saw myself in those things, um, those concepts. I relate to them because we all experience them and have them within us. But I, I didn't feel... Um, I didn't feel named by those concepts. Um, So when I came across this from Jonah Welch, and and they talk about something really interesting, which is the idea of kind of the divine masculine and the divine feminine being two points on a triangle and that the transition, the the meeting, the union, or the um, existence between the two as this alchemical point and that that alchemical point is is sacred in and of its own right, not in becoming one thing or the other or being both, but just sacred in and of itself. Um, And so that idea of the sacred third, like this sacred third point, I'm not attached to the idea of three or that number or anything. It just to me means what else is out there? What is, what is other than these binary spiritual concepts? And that has just developed into explorations of the sacred nature of trans people and queer people. Um, You know, the kind of sacred aspects of transition period, whether that's, um, being kind of this trickster shapeshifter energy, which I deeply, deeply relate to personally. Um, but also kind of as, as just being comfortable in that liminal space to in between um, the not here nor there. Um, so it's really spiritually, it's like something I could think about and talk about and write about and dream about for ever, ever. Um, But when it came to my business, it felt like such a natural fit because, um, you know, I really focus my work on serving my own community. Um, And then that kind of even evolved into, you know, when I realized that I was neurodivergent, um, it, it kind of that wove into the idea of the sacred third of of divergent thinking as also being that alchemical point. Um, when I think of my community and lineage as a queer person and gender queer person, like that divergence is so essential to our being, right? And there's something so magical and wise about that place and that experience you know and then (laughs) 
I'm totally rambling, but it's because that's kind of the sacred third is this idea that of possibility, right? And so my brain is just like naturally goes to what are all the possibilities? And we talk about, you know, triads and body, mind, and spirit, right? Like in, in healing, we focus on the body and the mind, but spirit is really important. That's also a sacred third space. And in art therapy, we talk about the relationship between the therapist and the client and the art, the art being referred to as the third hand in that therapeutic relationship, which is such a beautiful concept. And um, so all of this kind of jumbles together and that's how I landed. It just fits in so many ways. <laughs> yes, I did a lot of full body nodding and also just felt these waves of excitement for your future and this sense of holding both like that this right now is a moment of like real rest and recovery for you and just feeling into how fertile that is and to give yourself that permission. I'm in a similar space and um yeah, I'm just really happy to see other people doing the same and trusting that <clears throat> the pause is sacred as well and that these kinds of ideas form in a really quiet space, often of stillness and not as much doing and thinking and engaging as we often tend to think. Um, it also makes me think about breaks from social media and really being intentional about what, what kind of content we engage with Um I love Jonah's art as well and it <clears throat> reminded me that I want to make more time just in my day-to-day -to, -day to not scroll but instead to read these kinds of beautiful essays where people just kind of really give themselves space to explore ideas and language and philosophies and yeah just I think those are aspects of technology as well that make me feel excited as well as you know alongside everything else that can feel overwhelming and too fast, too much, you know, um, asking so much of us. And then there's this other piece as well where we get to connect with really niche things. I mean, you know, they shouldn't be niche, but strangely they are. <laughs> Who knows why? <laughs> yeah. Um, I would love to ask what your dreams for the future are, which again, you can take in so many directions. Um, and maybe you want to share a personal dream you've had lately, maybe a dream for your work or a dream for art or for us together. Hmm. Um, you know, I had a dream that I shared in dreams in a dream circle last night um, that kind of has a lot of themes that show up in my dreams regularly. And I can share that one and kind of speak to what I'm holding from it right now. I'm walking down a trail through a forest. And this trail is, is following these sacred pools. And I'm, I'm hunting treasures. And the treasure I'm hunting are pistachio nuts, which I just think is so funny. <laughs> 
And I'm seeing all these altars kind of along this trail with piles of pistachios and I'm searching for more to place on these altars. And when I get to the bottom of the trail, I come to this large um, ladder or staircase, like the kind you see going up to a plane. And I start to climb up. And as I climb up, I'm really scared. It's a very insecure staircase. And against my better judgment, I look down and I see that below me is just sky. There's no earth. And I become even more afraid. And I decide though, I have to climb up to the top because that's the safest thing to do. There's a building, not connected, but aligned with the stairs that I need to get into. And when I climb to the top of the stairs, I'm greeted by a host, hostess, who offers me a bottle of wine. And when I accept the bottle of wine, I realize I'm all the way back down at the bottom of the stairs again, and I have to climb up. And it's still terrifying, and there's still no earth below. And it's still very unsafe feeling, but I get to the top again to be greeted warmly once more and offered another bottle of wine before I go into the building and then wake up. Yesterday, I was working this dream with some, some creative practice, something I do called tissue paper collage, which I really love and highly recommend. And it's as simple as that collaging with tissue paper. Um, and I realized that what this dream was really focusing on was this theme of a lot of comfort and curiosity and, and excitement about diving down, about descending, but a lot of fear about climbing up and ascending to something different and feeling really unsafe doing that. And those relate to such personal themes and even, even kind of relate to my experience in, in my livelihood right now of feeling really afraid to kind of climb up higher than where I've been before. I feel really comfortable diving into the depths with other people in their trauma and their brokenness or, or woundedness, I feel a lot more afraid of um, reaching kind of my own potential or, or striving for that. Um, maybe even afraid of kind of leadership, right? So that's, you know, one dream that I've worked with, and it speaks to what I'm dreaming of going forward, which is really like believing in myself, right? I'm dreaming of not letting my own fears get in the way of, um, of giving of myself to my community, right? Not letting my fears impede my generosity. Um, you know, and what that looks like is taking things slowly and, and gradually and gently and not moving fast, um, 
and allowing myself to start over and change my mind and scrap things um, and even return to things, right? So I'm really hoping to to create some kind of livelihood that feels deeply attuned to myself, that responds to the things that I feel might be missing in my own life or that I might need more of. Connection to my garden, to the woods and the mountains, connection to my queer and trans community, right? Um, connection to elders and youngsters, creativity, dreaming, making things by hand, right? I want to see more of all of this in the world. That's my larger dream that I'm holding is people feeling like they belong somewhere no matter who they are. Oh, <laughs> yes, I feel so much resonance with that. I think that's so simple and beautiful and really something that I like to return to when I feel overwhelmed or the questions are just feeling bigger and bigger each year and just stepping out of that complexity and coming back to thinking about what it means to be right-sized, to, to climb up and make a lot of space for this exploration and these questions, but also to remember that at the end of the day, I think we're all craving intimacy and togetherness in whatever it is that we're experiencing in the sense that we're, we're also set up to experience it together, you know, whatever comes next, which is scary in lots of ways. <clears throat> yeah. Is there anything that you feel like I haven't asked about yet that you really want to talk to? I feel like we've covered a lot of ground and I just loved everything you shared. And I yeah, just want to see if there's anything that still needs a little bit of attention. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this conversation has been so lovely um, and really just flowed in this wonderful way. And I feel really complete with what we've talked about. I'm actually, I'm excited to listen myself. Me too. Yeah. So before we go, obviously you are in transition at the moment, but I would still love to share with people kind of maybe what might be in your future and how they can connect with you. Yeah. So you can find me online at my website, which is just my name, um, jesskennard.com. And, you know, coming up, I, I'm really excited to start um, engaging with community again um, in the late summer and fall. So maybe by September and October. I love, I'm planning on kind of coming back into the, that capacity with a creativity workshop called Drawing Deep, um, which will be uh, donation-based in the early fall. And then with a dreaming circle, um, I'm calling it Dreaming Queerly. It'll be um, an art dream group or creativity-based dream group um, for uh, queer and trans folks. Um, however, 
people identify. And um, and then I'll also be opening up with those one-on-one dream sessions that I did with you last year, which was so fun. And I call those dream casting sessions and um, they're individual dream work sessions. So you can um, find out on my website how to work with me, spend 90 minutes with one of your dreams in an intimate you know, kind of container to uh, find out the meaning of your life. <laughs> And <laughs> these are so good and I don't think that is an oversell <laughs> I really loved my session with you so much it just gave me so much clarity and really pulled all these different threads together we talked about a dream that I had had many times in my life and I just looked at it you know with this totally new perspective and it was so beautiful to have this time and space and container to really honor it in the way that it deserves rather than just like waking up and feeling like oh yeah stream again okay my day is starting now you know so yeah so excited that you're gonna do that again and for these groups as well thank you so much Jess it was amazing to talk to you and I'm really excited to share this thanks so much as well um I had such a nice time um, having this conversation with you and Um, I look forward to working with lots of folks and their dreaming in the future. Mm. (laughs) Hi, it's Jess again. Thanks for listening to Yaros and my conversation. Before you go, I want to share about the two community care projects that I'm facilitating in 2023. Actually, I'm really excited about them and I'm starting them early uh, this December. The Creative Care Circle is an art hive for healers, caregivers, and public servants with marginalized identities and our loved ones. The Creative Care Circle happens online every first Wednesday from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time. No art or craft experience is necessary, just a curiosity about creative self-care and a desire to be in community with other healers. Dreaming Queerly is a dream circle for LGBTQIA2 plus kin and our loved ones as well. Dreaming Queerly also takes place online every third Wednesday from 5 to 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Again, you don't need to be a fancy dreamer to join us. Just bring your curiosity about the dream world and your compassion for your community. Both of these offerings are free, absolutely no cost, and also no yucky marketing strings attached. You can find out more information about both circles at jesscanard.com slash free offerings. My name is spelled J-E-S-S-K-E-N-N-A-R-D. I hope that this episode made you more curious about dreaming and creative well-being, and I'm really looking forward to meeting you in the imaginal realm. See you there.